but we are talking tonight already at the fourth law uh, of the of spiritual growth that we're working through uh, this list. These laws, as you've, as you've noticed, are not exactly doctrines. They're not exactly duties or promises or rules, but each one represents a truth that we as Christians need to know. And I kind of like to look at them like pillars that hold up a building. And here are the first three that we've already done. This, the first law is he is God and we are not. The second law, God doesn't need us, but we so desperately need him. And the third law is what God demands, God supplies. That's what we talked about last week. Now, these three laws that we talked about already lay kind of a theological groundwork and a foundation that prepares us for all the ones that are going to follow. They lead us so far. We've seen uh, the response that we should have to those is submitting, admitting, and receiving. We submit because he's God and we're not. And so we submit to what he has for us. We have to remember that. If we uh, fight that or we start to act like we are God and he's not, we're going to have serious trouble. We admit that we need him, uh, even though he does not need us, but we so desperately need him. And then we gratefully receive what God supplies uh, so that his righteous demands might be met. That was one of my favorite ones working through. Uh, was the one we talked about last week where God supplies what he demands. It's a wonderful thought about the Bible that, that shows us that we, we really can't give God what he demands without his supplying uh, us to be able to do that. And so the third law summarizes the entire gospel. We're so desperately lost and sinful that if God doesn't intervene, then we're sunk skunks. And he does, thankfully, intervene. And uh, so we can praise him for that. Now, we're kind of turning a corner in the series tonight. Uh, the fourth law is going to take us into the practical realm of Christian living. I want to forewarn you tonight, we're going to do a little meddling, okay, and a little toe stomping. And I don't feel that guilty about making you suffer because I've suffered all week as I've been putting this down. It's very convicting stuff. Um, and I can almost guarantee you that at some point we'll say something that might irritate you, and I say that because it irritated me when I read these things. These are not necessarily easy truths, uh, but the truth isn't always what we want to hear, but it is always what we need to hear, amen? So I'll try to uh, be as, as, well, I'm, you know, as one preacher said, I preach it to me and the rest of you can listen in. That's the way it's going to happen tonight. Uh, but the fourth law that I want to talk to you tonight says, what you seek, you find. What you seek, you find. These five simple words challenge us at the level of personal motivation. Now, let's look at our verse, and then we're going to read some other verses too, but Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening that we could listen and take to heart the things that are said from your word. I've got nothing to offer to help anybody, but these things from your word certainly do. May we be honest in our self-assessment and apply what we need to in Jesus' name. Amen. What we seek, we find. Now, the Bible has much to say about seeking and finding, and especially seeking and finding the Lord. 
Here's just a few examples I want to read to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. Now listen to those words very carefully. If you seek, you will find. That's what that verse says. If thou seek him with all thy heart, with all thy soul. Psalm 27, 8. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29.13 And ye shall seek me and find me. That again supports our premise. What you seek, you will find. When you search for me with all your heart. Matthew 6.33 we just read, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. What you seek, you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. Because what you seek, you find. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And by the way, that list is just the tip of the iceberg. I had many, many more verses that I just had to choose a few to, for the sake of time. Can you turn me down just a little bit, fellows, please? The concept of seeking God is a biblical concept that touches our motivation and our priorities. Uh, it determines how we spend our time. It determines how we spend our resources the goals that we set, and it will determine our spiritual growth or our lack thereof. And that is all dependent on how <coughs> or how much we seek God. The Bible tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things that we're interested in, and we'll talk about those uh, that will be added unto you. Let's clarify the issue, first of all, uh, by making several simple observations. Number one, everyone seeks something. Everyone seeks something. We're all, by nature, seeking people. Some people seek for money, some for fame, pleasure, self-validation, worldly power. The tragedy of our time is that so many people waste their time seeking after the things of the world, and we can really pretty much uh, sum them all up into three different things uh, if, if we want to. Money, sex, and power is probably the three things the world seeks above all other things. We want, we want money, and so we sacrifice our families to get it. We want sex, so we sacrifice our morals to get it. Uh, we want power, so we sacrifice our friends to get it. And when we finally do get any of that, it does not satisfy if we don't go after the Lord. Dwayne Thomas was a star running back for the Dallas Cowboys in the 1970s. And he had it right when he said this. He said, I keep hearing about people referring to the Super Bowl as the ultimate game. And if it is the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? And that's a great question. Uh, that's the way it is in the world. We act like the things we're after are the ultimate, the final. This is going to satisfy me, fulfill me, and yet it never does. And so we continue to go after more and more and more. Nothing in this life satisfies forever. It is an endless treadmill of, of chasing uh, the soap bubbles of life. The second statement I'd like to make is there's an easy test to find out what you seek in life. And here's a simple test to discover what you truly seek because we can say whatever we want to say. We can even think that, well, I mean, I seek after God. 
with everything that I do in my life. But there is a simple test that we can apply to ourselves. Again, it gets a little painful, so stay with me, because uh, especially if we're honest with ourselves, it can get a little painful sometimes. But we can determine what we are seeking by how we spend our time and our money. That's how you can tell what you're seeking. You can claim anything you want. You can cl- you can put it on your Facebook status, um, or I've been told I date myself. I'm sorry, your Instagram status, whatever. Uh, so you can put it uh, put those things uh, wherever you want to on social media, uh, whatever you want to do. But it's it, it, the truth is still the truth. It can really be said on how you spend your time and your money. They don't lie. Time is life, and money is nothing but the time it takes to make the money. So show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I will show you the priorities in your life and what you seek. And the same can be said about me. What we spend our time on, what we spend our money on. Uh, Those are barometers of what we seek. Uh, The third statement I want to make, you can have whatever you seek in the spiritual realm if you want it. Uh, This is a controversial statement. I, I read that and and thought about it, should I say it that way, and is that true or isn't it? Um, Because that seems oversimplified, and then it brings up the question, why don't more people have what they want spiritually? But let me read it again. You can have whatever you seek in the spiritual realm if you want it. Let me read it a different way. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall find it. Matthew 5, 6. Or they shall be filled. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. This is one of the great promises of the Bible. What you seek, you will find. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness and the promises of God, you will be filled. In other words, if you want righteousness, you can have righteousness. You will have it. I don't think we appreciate the importance of that truth. That's why I claim and say often, we are as close to God as we want to be. We really are. Every person is as close to God as we want to be. Abraham Lincoln said this, most people are about as happy as they want to be. That's another way of putting it. We have as much joy as we want. We have as much peace as we want. Uh, This is a hard truth. We are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. That seems simplified, but just think about the truth of that statement. We really are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. I remember about... 15 years ago or so, I called my brother. I was in the, uh, the center of raising uh, all our kids. I had six or seven kids at that time, and I was working a full-time job, doing a full-time youth pastor, and just pulled in every direction, didn't have a spare minute. And I was complaining to my brother about that at one point, and uh, he stopped me at some point in the conversation said, just stop it. He says, if you were any less busy, you'd find something else to do to make yourself busy again. And he was right. Because I was just as busy as I wanted to be. And, and that can, really can be applied to every part of our life. We can have as much spiritual growth and we can have what we want, whatever we really want we'll go after. If you're hungry from something, for something better from God, I've got good news for you tonight, friend. You can have it. You can have it. If you want it, you can have a closer walk with God. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want to, you can witness for Christ. If you want to, you can learn to pray. If you want to, you can grow spiritually. Why? Because when we seek, we will find. What we seek, we will find. 
This is true in every area and realm of our life. Unless we seek, we will not find. And what we seek, we eventually find. True. All right, let's remove the excuses next here. Our primary problem from the uh, really not getting what we get out of uh, out of spiritual life and seeking these things is the excuses we make. We don't change. We don't grow. We don't seek God. We don't stay the uh, or, or we do stay the way that we are primarily because that's pretty much the way we want to be. That's what we want, and so we make excuses. We learn to live with mediocrity. Boy, that's a problem in our society today that bugs me to death. Trophies for nothing. Trophy, uh for given in school for for part- there it is participation trophies my goodness what have we come to today that is promoting mediocrity and uh, we ought to learn we ought to teach our children there's such a thing as losing and there's such a thing as winning be a winner amen and uh, teach them that but we we uh think of excuses to live and to stay in mediocrity i've got three that we use here number 1 the excuse of self pity we should not whine or complain about how hard life is or how bad we have it. We have to stop blaming the way that others treat us because self-pity is the enemy of spiritual growth. We will not grow in our spiritual life as long as we look at ourselves and everything is somebody else's fault or something else's fault. Nothing is my fault and so I can never grow because I never accept responsibility. Self-pity is a big big problem in our society today many of our churches too number two the i'm trying excuse i'm trying often the the words i'm trying is just an excuse for not doing what we say we want to do we can excuse any non-performance by saying i'm trying for instance i've always not i hate running but i've always thought It'd be a good thing if I could just be able to say, I ran a 5K. And I can tell you, I'm trying. It'll never happen, but I'm trying. Uh, this, this is an excuse a lot of times why we don't do something, because I'm trying. We all know lying is wrong, but uh, all an excuse is is a protected lie. In fact, my father-in-law, I like the way he always put it, uh, an excuse is a reason stuffed with a lie. The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what we would say. So, we, we do excuse ourselves. You're either swearing or you're not. You're either losing weight or you're not. You're either reading your Bible or you're not. You're either being faithful or you're not. You're either forgiving that person who hurt you or you're not. You're either growing spiritually or you're not. I told you it's tough tonight, isn't it? That's hard truth, but let's get right down to serious, down to business. That's where we're at. We are. We will seek what we find. And when we want it, we can have it. We can have these things if we just get serious about it. I'm saying tonight, I'm trying can just be a weak excuse to take the pressure off of yourself. You get credit for doing something or trying to do something you're not really doing until you want to change. Really want it and seek it. You're doomed to stay exactly the way you are right now. So let's apply the truth here. Here's a simple question of application. I want you to think about this question, applying it to your life. Are you a God-seeking person? Uh, the Bible says we ought to seek Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
all these rights? Are you a God-seeking person? Now, how would you answer that? Well, uh, or, or let's say if you're in court and the attorney asked you that question and then you had to trot out some evidence to support it, what evidence would you trot out to support the, uh, that you are a God-seeking person? It's not enough to have a list of I do's. I do this, I do that. It's not enough to simply get busy uh, at church events. I have family still today that have a greater, much greater list of I do this and I don't do this than any of us in here have living in the Amish religion. They have a great list of things that they abstain from and the things that they do. doesn't make them a God seeker at all. It makes them religious. So as good as that may be, it's not the same as seeking God with all your heart. Now, I challenge you to do this. This is a tough thing to do. Um, find someone who knows you really well and ask them, am I a God-seeking person? Do you, when you look at my life, do you see the qualities in me of a person who truly seeks God? Ask someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Here's a, if you're really brave, Go to an unsaved friend or relative, a co-worker, and ask them that question. You may be surprised at how they answer. You know what I've learned about unsaved people? They may not understand the Bible the same way that we do, but they know the difference between someone who is truly a God-seeker and someone who's a faith. In fact, they're often better at picking them out than other church members are. They know the difference. In some cases, they're even less easily fooled. While they don't focus on the same list of actions that we do, and sometimes that's what skews us a little bit, they can spot a God-seeking heart. I really believe anyone can. People who don't know the Lord instinctively recognize a person who seeks God passionately. If you're really brave, ask your husband or wife or your children, am I a God-seeking person? It's a lot harder to fool them than it is to fool others. Now listen again to the words of Isaiah 55, 6. six. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Now life is so uncertain for all of us and that's why it's so important that we seek him while he may be found. There's a time when we cannot do that anymore. We certainly understand the importance of that truth for the unsaved. We plead with the unsaved, don't put it off. You know, today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the appointed time that we plead for unsaved people to get saved, yet we put off in our spiritual growth what we need to have in our life to get to the next level in our Christian life. So what we need to do is put the plan in action. Uh, so I agree, I want to grow, I want to get to the next level in my Christian life, I want to cast aside my excuses, I want to go forward. I want a God-seeking heart where do we start? Well, here's a few that will help us. Number one, we need to admit our need. You cannot change anything until you admit that you need to change in that area. That's, it, again, these are pretty elemental tonight, but they're helpful to us, I think. If you're happy with the way you are, then there's nothing I can say that's going to help you or change you if you're happy the way you are right now. In fact, the only way anyone grows is a dissatisfaction with their current state. I remember when I was eight months old, I told myself, getting sick of all this crawling. People around me are walking, getting faster, getting to places faster. I think I'm going to try that out. And I started to 
gain the desire to walk. All right, I don't remember it, but that's pretty much how it happened because that's how it happened for all of us, didn't it? We got sick of crawling around. Knees are always scuffed up. People are passing us and we're trying to get to where we want to get and they just walk over all walky and uh, just don't, don't uh, pay us any attention. And so we want to get to the next level in our life. We want to do that and so we start to try. And do you know how many times we fail? And we fail over and over and over again, but we're determined. I'm not satisfied with crawling anymore. I want to walk. And so we seek it. And guess what we do? We find it. We have to admit that need, though. We have to first admit our need. Secondly, cry out to God for help. If you need the Lord, cry out to Him today. If you want to seek Him, seek Him with all your heart, the Bible says, and you will find Him. The Bible promises this. Carve out some time in your day to get close to God, get alone with God. Uh, create a Bible reading program for yourself, uh, to, to something that you're, you, you're determined to stick to. Get a place in your home uh, that you can call your prayer closet and uh, make that yours and, and uh, get alone with God on a regular basis. You cry out to Him. You seek Him, the Bible says, you'll find Him. It says it several times in Scripture. And then number three, surround yourself with God-seeking people. God-seekers aren't that hard to spot. I bet right now you can think someone in this church, they're for real. They're a God-seeker. And you can seek Him. Uh, you, you can find friends who truly seek the Lord. And you ought to glue yourself to them. Spend time with people like that. I, I love the, I don't even remember who said it, but I had it for a long time uh, pasted in front of me in my office on the wall. Frequent the company of your betters. Frequent the company of your better. Find someone who's better than you and, and, and learn from them. I took it down because I couldn't find anybody better. I'm, that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> a terrible thing to say. Uh, find people and then follow their example. By the way, where do you do this? You do this in a local church. There's no better place in the local church than finding God seekers, amen? And I'm constantly in counsel with people who are frustrated by their lack of spiritual growth, and yet they're not in church. And, oh, my life's a mess, and everything's falling apart, and yet they pretty much refuse to come to church on a regular basis. Get around godly people. It'll rub off on you, and it'll help you. Researcher Flavel Geekly, he decided to study a 100 new members within his church for six months. This is what he found. After six months, 90% of his actives, and that's people that are still there, it's still coming, 90% of the actives had six or more friends in the congregation. 98% of the dropouts had less than two friends in the congregation. I'm telling you, we need to get around godly people. We need to tie ourselves to them. And, and a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Amen? And uh, we don't sit in a corner and wait for them to come to us. We go to them. And we show ourselves friendly. Having godly friends will make a big difference in your life. Years ago, when my wife and I were first, uh, it was actually our second ministry that we were in serving as, as youth pastor. And uh, a pastor made this comment to us. None of us can afford the luxury, talking about pastors, after when you're in the ministry, none of us can afford the luxury of having friends in the churches that we uh, serve in. We must remain aloof to protect ourselves from all kinds of dangers and needless drama. To the best of my recollection, that's the words he told to us. 
Now, while I can understand the problems he's talking about, it is real, There's, there are dangers there. While I can understand that, I wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. I am supremely grateful for all the friends that I have in this church, and my wife as well, uh, for the friends that we have in this church. And, and it, it helps us to grow spiritually, and our life as well. Because guess what? We need growth just like anybody else needs growth. They have that. And you will remain our friends, my friend, until you give my real age in front of the whole church. And then we're done. You know, one of the, the girls from Anchor Home today said, I thought you were in your 30s. She'd still think that if it weren't for... There are dangers. There, look, is there risks in having friends? Yes, of course there's risks. It's worth the risk. And we need to have godly friends. I believe there's a much greater danger for our spiritual condition if we keep ourselves friendless. So we need to surround ourselves with God, godly people. One of the two things, one of two things will happen when you are around a God seeker. They're going to drive you nuts and you'll leave them, or they'll rub off on you, you'll become more like them. You'll become a God seeker too. A lot of it depends on your attitude. Zig Ziglar said, your attitude, not your aptitude, uh, determines your altitude. And attitude is so important here. So, admit your need, cry out to God for help, surround yourself with God-seeking people. And then number four, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. This is hard for most of us. Waiting. My, my request, my prayer is often, give me patience and give it right now. Amen? That's, that's my prayer for patience. Uh, we want spiritual maturity, and I'd like to have it by 10 tonight. That would be good if we could get these things immediately. We're not inclined to wait on anything, even the Lord sometimes, but waiting can have its benefits. Uh, I read a story about a man, Ed Watt, was visiting a local department store with his wife. He had purchased for him, he had already got his shopping done, because that's what men do, uh, he had purchased a piece of luggage and a cooler. And he was sitting close to the front of the store, uh, just sitting there waiting on his wife to finish her shopping. So one of the clerks asked him, can I help you with anything? He said, no, I'm just sitting here waiting for my wife uh, to finish her shopping. And another man overheard him and looked at him and said, you know, I'm waiting for my wife too. And I never once thought about bringing a lunch in an overnight bag. Um, but waiting, waiting is not something we enjoy, but it has its benefits. The act of waiting purifies our hearts. It increases the longing in our heart to know the Lord more intimately. As we wait and as we pray, we become like what the psalmist says, a deer panting after the water. Our souls grow hungry to know the Lord. Now, G. Campbell Morgan put it great. I'll read his, his uh, quote here. Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, the ability to do nothing <coughs> until that command is given. End quote. Sometimes we just need to be willing to wait on God. Number five, and this is where I love to stop and go home. Number five, spend time in fasting. Now, you know if I preach on it, I have to do it. Okay, so uh, that's why I don't like to preach on it very often, but I think it needs to be said. There's a definite uh, 
There's a definite plea in Scripture. I've uh, done some study on it, and uh, it's not something any of us enjoy, which is the point of it, anyway. There's a direct connection in the Bible between biblical fasting and seeking the Lord and growth. For some, this might mean going without a meal to pray and to wait on God. For others, it might mean going all day without a meal. Biblical fasting can be practiced in different ways. But it is, I think we would all agree, becoming more and more of a lost art. What it used to, even, even as a younger youth pastor, there's many more times that we corporately as a church did it. And it just, uh, maybe that's on me that we don't do that as much as we should. The Didache is a document, a paper that the early church lived uh, outside of the Bible, kind of a code of conduct that the people lived by. And uh, the, the document, the Didache, prescribed two fast days a week, Wednesday and Friday. And for early Christians, this was seen as a regular practice of daily discipleship, fasting those two days a week. In fact, John Wesley wanted to put this practice in place again when he was on the scene, and he, he was so adamant about it that he would not uh, ordain any young men going into the ministry unless they observed this fasting of these two days uh, of the week. Now, not many people do it anymore. It's not preached on very often. Uh, there's a reason for it because we hate to do it. We just don't, I mean, let's just be honest. Who wants to fast? I don't. Uh, and yet, that's exactly why we do need to do it because it is our flesh crying out against what we're doing and it is us saying to the flesh, I'm in control. I'm not letting you make the call today. That's what, that's what Paul talks about, keeping his body uh, and uh, keeping under control. Now, fasting slows us down. Fasting reorients our perspective. It weans us away from the love of the world. I don't know what it does for you, but when I fast for any purpose of prayer or whatever it is, uh, when I fast, it I don't care about anything anymore but one thing. And, you know, the, the food becomes what's just overwhelming the desire. I'm not thinking impure thoughts. I couldn't care less. I'm just hungry. And I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not hating anybody. I just, I'm just hungry, okay? And so fasting really does help to get many of those other things out of your life and get yourself focused on what's going on at hand. I remember uh, back in 2000, um, I was a youth pastor working for Pastor Jackson. You, we had him here a couple years ago preaching for us. And uh, he called me up. It was a Tuesday morning, and there was somebody in his family that was very ill or going to the hospital that day or something, and he asked if I would fast and pray for him, uh, for, for this individual that day, along with him. And I said I would. Uh, so um, I determined that day I would not um, eat. I, it works better for me if I put something in front of me that I can, once that happens, then I can eat rather than just time because it maybe it helps distract. And it just so happened that day was election day. And I said, I, uh, this will be easy. I'm not going to eat until I know who the next president is. That makes it real easy. Uh, this was 2000 election. We didn't find out till December 15th of that year who the president was, if you remember that election. So I had to break that one. Uh, I did. I did, uh, I did my day like I promised him, but I, I sat up, I was so hungry, and sitting up 10 or 11 o'clock, we had no end in sight, and I finally just said, I forget it, I'm eating. So, um, But fasting will, will do much for us. 
Thomas A. Kempis said in his book, The Imitation of Christ, seek uh, God, not happiness. We have that backwards. We seek happiness and hope we can throw God in the mix. And when we do that, we end up with neither. I say that again. We seek happiness, hoping God can somehow be involved in it, and we get neither. We must seek God, not happiness. The paradox is that when we seek God and find Him, then we get happiness too, as a byproduct. We get both if we just seek the right. That's why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these other things. What are the other things? Everything else that we like to do. Everything else we enjoy. These things will be added to you, but seek first God. <coughs> we wonder why life leaves us so frustrated and disillusioned. I want to share with you another thought here. Jesus gives us a personal appeal in 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, he does not say, come and join the church. He does not say, come and be baptized. He does not say, come and give money. This is what he does say. Come unto me, all ye that are that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled with what? With Him. Filled with Him. You'll be filled with Jesus yourself. This is what we really need. Uh, when we're hungry, we ought to come and eat of the bread of life. When we're thirsty, we ought to drink of the bread of the water of life. When we're weary, we come to Him and we find rest. When we're guilty, we come to Him and we're forgiven. And when we're far from God, we come back home again. Often, we have discussed how this God-shaped vacuum is, it's almost a cliche anymore in Christian circles. We have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us. But the problem is that uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And so when we don't seek after God, we try to fill that with other things and it just never works out. And, back, and that takes us back to the first point, everyone seeks something. Let's just make sure we seek the right thing. So many of us have filled our hearts with the garbage of this world. And I'm not only talking about sin, but just wastes of time, uh, fruitless pursuits. I talk to my kids about this a lot. We like to label it junk food. Junk food is not sin. It won't kill you, but you oughtn't live on it. It's junk food. So we shouldn't just subsist on it. And uh, I had... I've had McDonald's one time this year, and uh, I ate at Taco Bell this last week. That was the first time I've been at Taco Bell this year. I eat at Taco Bell occasionally to remind myself why I don't eat at Taco Bell. Now I know again, and it'll stick with me for a while. It's not going to kill you. You just don't want to live on it. So not all TV is evil, but it's junk food. See what I'm saying? Uh, not all video games, they're not evil, but they're junk food. Uh, golfing. Why did I write that in there? Um, other things. <laughs> no, that's true too. You know what I mean though. These things aren't wicked, but they're junk food. We oughtn't live it. We oughtn't seek after those things. There's nothing wrong with doing all of those things. We just don't seek first after that. First, we seek after Him. Why? Because what we seek, we find. No wonder we're so unhappy. No wonder we jump from one job to another, from one relationship to another. We're like little children who won't let go of a marble to receive a diamond. We hold on to wasted things when something so much better is there for us. No, I'm not going to give up my weekend activities for church where I could see spiritual growth. 
No, I won't give up my sin for peace and forgiveness. Forget it. I'm not going to replace my anger and bitterness for peace and contentment. What are you talking about? No wonder we stay the way we are. Because we don't really want what else is out there. The truth is we don't want to change or not bad enough anyway. Because if we did, we would. Why? Because what you seek, you find. What we go after, that's what we'll get. In the kingdom of God, everything begins with a seeking heart. Salvation begins with a seeking heart, a hungry heart. And if you're tired of the life that you've been living, I've got news for you, friend. You can make a new start because what you seek, you'll find. It's a promise in Scripture. It takes seeking. It does. That's not always the easiest thing, but it does take some seeking. But in the spiritual realm, what you seek is what you find. That's the fourth law that we're talking about in spiritual growth. What you seek, you find. Father, I pray you'd help us apply this truth to our life. What a great promise from Scripture that we have in this, this uh, spiritual growth law. I pray you'd help us now to realize this, examine our own hearts, <coughs> our desires, our goals, the things that we seek after. And Lord, help us change our priorities if it's necessary to do so. Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this evening. God bless you. You are dismissed. We will meet again Wednesday night. And Lord willing, we'll be able to meet in here, I hope. It's been a little bit echoey in the gym, but I'd love to see you back Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock.